Welcome everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is The Bread of Life, a radio ministry sponsored by Church Partnership Evangelism and its local missions fellowship, The Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. If you're looking for a place to give to that's taking the gospel in direct and personal evangelism throughout the world, I'd like you to consider CPE. On a daily basis, we're working with pastors in Asia, Africa, and South America, equipping them and directing them into engagements of the gospel with lost people. God is blessing, and the church is growing in these places. You can learn more by going to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. And now to God's Word. In Romans 7, verses 7 through 14, Paul must answer those who think that he is attacking God's law as a negative thing. This because Paul has clearly discounted the idea that a person can be right with God by keeping the law. The law instead, Paul has said, brings us all under judgment, and it works to actually stir up in us our resistance to God's will. It shows us that we're sinners, and it shows us that we are condemned sinners. And this is just what the law did for Paul. He was like a child, naive to his own sinfulness, until he came face to face with the law, and then he saw his sin as never before. The law was given to us, among other things, to restrain our sinful behavior. It it was meant to, in a sense, lie over us and put some boundaries around us to places that we were not to go. It was meant to sharpen us and sharpen our conscience in order that we might not do those things that are inconsistent with who God is and God's will and God's purpose and God's way for our lives so that we would not tread out into territory or ground that is not under God's blessing, but that we might remain in the life that we live under God's blessing. And so this law is given, among other things, as this restraint against sinful behaviors in our lives. But as it lays over us in that way, as the law comes to us and comes upon us, and it seems is like this restraint upon our lives, what it also does is it defines our sinful impulses. The very place where the law begins to press against us, it presses against things that we think, but that's something I want to do. We start discovering that our lives stand out and our desires stand out perpendicular to the impress of the law upon our lives. And so this very law that is meant to restrain our sinful impulses in some strange way awakens those sinful impulses and makes us aware of these impulses and we find the in a sense the maddening restraint of the law against the impulses of our flesh and we feel the impulses of our flesh all the more the more that we come to understand the law of God we feel the growing desire to push out just at the point where the law is saying to us don't go beyond this point and so our flesh is wakened up it awakens in this way the sleeping giant of sin and rebellion that lies inside each and every individual human being. So as a result, the law introduces you to the true you. It introduces me to who I truly am in and apart from what God would do in me. And what I am is a strident force seeking and desiring my own thing, my own way, that has a tendency to move into patterns that defy the will and way of God and understands and has a desire to satisfy myself and to satisfy my appetites and those things that are contrary to God and even contrary to the way of blessing and the way of life. Now, religious individuals and the religion of man tries to cloak this truth that the law ultimately works to expose our sinfulness by instead saying that what the law does 
is the law reveals that we're basically good people at heart. The law shows that we're really aspiring to do the right thing and that somehow it's something we've constructed because we have this moral tendency and we want to go in the right place. Instead of recognizing it's something that God has given and God lays over us, it's something that we've come up with to aspire to being better people because that's really what's in our heart. Our heart is a heart for self-improvement and to get better and that's what's natural to us and that we can take the law and through the law we can climb like a ladder of moral rules to a place of enlightenment and a higher place of personal righteousness and this is really what the law is about and that's how they attempt to use the law and convince us and bring us before the law but that's not how the law works might to some extent reflect those aspirations but it also teaches us that we don't reach them we fail to get after them that those aspirations are fleeting and they're fleeting and what remains is the impulse still to do what we want to do and to pursue our own wills and to go after our own appetites and our own desires. That's what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that the law is given in such a way that it's not something that we can follow in order to gain a righteousness. What the law does is it just reveals that we are unrighteous, that we are not going the right way. Here's what we talked about last week, the two ways that people kind of engage the law of God as a result. Because it works as this restraint against us, and we feel the restrictions of it, and we rebel against it, so we, at some point in time, find ourselves regularly defying that law and going out beyond those boundaries. And so we see as the law is something to get around and skirt, and it's a contest that somehow we want to avoid. We don't listen to it, or we ignore it, and we press on. And so we defy the law, and at the same time, we know that it's reflecting the good that we should be in the ground in which we'll be blessed. And so on other occasions, we go back to the law and we try to use that law in such a way to prove that we're right and that we're good so that we can convince others and we can convince ourselves and maybe we can convince God that we're really good people that are deserving of His reward. In fact, if we're good enough, maybe we'll force His hand and He'll just have to bless us because He'll see how good we are. And the odd thing is this is how man flips back and forth. In fact, this is the only way in which the unregenerate man can engage the law. He, he engages it as this thing that's just repressing me or the basis by which he seeks to gain God's favor by his own effort and his own action. And what I'd like you to recognize is that either way, both of these approaches to the law are selfish and they're sinful at heart. And so I want you to pay attention to how Paul is addressing the law and the people's response to what Paul is saying. I told you last week that Paul now has turned and he's actually addressing the believer and I think that's the case, although I think as well there is a mix of him addressing that Jewish legalist that's there before him as, and maybe that Greek moralist. And they're hearing something that Paul is saying as words that unsettles them because they appreciate the law. They know they don't always follow it, but they know it's the path to them becoming better people and proving themselves to be better people. And so in verse 7, they say to Paul, Look, if, if what you're saying, and by the way, they're abusing the law in the very way they've talked about it. They just have a habit and a pattern of abusing that law. They feel it's restriction and they kind of fight against it. And at the same time, they try to prove them that they're good through it. And So the protest is in verse 7, and they're basically saying, Paul, if what you say is true about the law, that it aggravates the sinfulness in us, then aren't you saying that the law is a bad thing? Aren't you actually implying that the law is sin in itself? And Paul answers, certainly not. And then Paul gives a conclusive statement about the law. And this is what he says. It's in verse 12. The law is holy, and the commandment is holy and just and good. I want you to remember that. The law is holy. 
The commandment is holy and just and good. Now, I think when Paul is referring to the law here, although we might talk about the law of the conscience that God puts upon all individuals, I think Paul is actually here referencing most specifically the law, those Ten Commandments that we read in Exodus 20. The moral law that God gave to the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai to demonstrate that Paul will reference one of those laws in his own story. He'll talk about the last commandment, the commandment that says, Thou shalt not covet and apply it to himself. It's important for you to understand that in those Ten Commandments, God was revealing truths about himself to the people of Israel. In particular, God was putting to the people of Israel a truth about himself that would lead those individuals and those people into greater maturity. It was as if the nation of Israel had come out of their bondage and their slavery and they were infants and they needed to grow up and move on from childhood to adulthood. And so when Paul tells his own account and tells his own story, he takes us back and he gives this impression of his own life as a child and him moving into spiritual adulthood. And this adulthood comes when he comes before the law. And it confronts him and it reveals things that he needs to understand. He sees before the law who God is and in the light of who God is, he sees who he is. And so that's reflected in Romans chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. And there we see that Paul is growing up, that he's been a child and he's not reached the age of accountability and he's naive as to himself and his understanding of sin and of his own sin. And then you see as he's telling the story that is. The law brings his naivety to an end when he comes before it and comes before the command, particularly the command that you should not covet. Then through that law, it becomes clear to him that this commandment is one that he's breaking in his own life. He sees himself as he's never saw himself before. In fact, once now that the law makes clear to him in his mind and his heart that he has this malady of coveting in his life, it actually aggravates it and he sees coveting throughout his life. He sees that he can't control the illicit desires in his own life. And so that sin that had been, in a sense, lying dead or dormant in his life and he had been not recognizing was there and roiling around, all of a sudden springs to life within him. The knowledge of the law makes him truly see who he is. It exposes him to his sin and exposes him to his own deceitfulness and lying heart. It actually pressed against his conscience and awakened him to an impulse and release that he ultimately dove into all the more. He's no longer a naive child to this condition. He's no longer naive to his true spiritual sinful state. Sin took hold of him, the commandment rose up, and put to death that tranquil image that Paul had of himself. So this is what it says in verses 7 and 8. I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet but sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I wasn't aware of these things. It wasn't awakened within me. And Paul is again speaking autobiographically in verse 9. I was alive without the law. Well, I was alive once without the law. But then the commandment came. Sin revived. It sprung to life. And I died. Here we can see that Paul is kind of recapitulating this life of the child that is growing up in the age of innocence and has not reached the age of accountability. And yet this child that ultimately comes to understand the law, the implications of the law, he meets the God of the law, he recognizes in it his own sin, he realizes he can't control his own sin, he comes under greater condemnation. 
He moves as a result, in a sense, from childhood and the naivety of childhood into an accountable adult. And we say, good enough. That's kind of what we read there. Now, what I want you to see here, and I'm saying this all by introduction, is that what Paul is saying about himself is also not unlike the experience that the nation of Israel had before God when they came before the law in Exodus 19 and 20. There, Israel too was like a child, and it was brought before God, and there God reveals to them the law, and in the law they're awakened to their own sinfulness and their own need and the terror of their own sinfulness. As a result, you'll see that they become awakened to their need of a place to go where they can meet with God safely. God gives them the law of the tabernacle after all of that. As they become awakened to themselves and their true accountability before God, their view of God and their understanding of God brings them into repentance and brings them to recognizing the stunning accountability they have for their own sins. And this is the course that the law always brings an individual when you understand it properly. When in the law, you meet the God of the law and God reveals himself into it. So we're going to go back to this question that was asked, is the law sin? And the answer is certainly not. And we're going to go to Paul's response. What he says is, the law is holy, and the law is just, and the law is good. And so the question for us this morning is, how is the law holy, and how is the law just, and how is the law good? And we'll take what we've said already in introduction and help us look at this. And here's our answer, and there are two basic points to our answer. Look at them fairly extensively. The first part of the answer we'll look at more extensively than the second, but it's this. The first part of the answer is this. The law is holy and the law is just and the law is good because the law reveals a holy, just, and good God. Thank you for joining us at the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.